0: Welcome to the New Books Network. What is the future of news in the 20th century Western-educated journalists championed impartial Unbiased news, which always seemed a bit odd, as everyone agreed it wasn't possible for journalists to shed all their biases. And that fundamental contradiction has now been replaced by something even more problematic fake news, and worse than that, fake news which people seem to believe. And even the idea that anyone can publish their own fake news and hope that others will believe it. So, where are we headed in the 21st century? Well, to discuss that, I'm joined by a former BBC editor. And just to be clear, uh, despite having spent many years at the BBC, I never worked for him. Uh, he's now Master of Selwyn College at Cambridge University. Roger Mosey, uh, who's written a lot on the news industry as well. So welcome, Roger.
1: Welcome, and you're very lucky that you, you escaped my managerial clutches.
0: <laughs> yes, well, now then, when you, if I had worked for you uh, at the BBC, I think you would have said, please be impartial. Would you have done that?
1: I would, yes. And I think that impartiality, which you're probably going to ask me to define, and it is quite tough to define, but impartiality is a sum of a whole lot of really important values, which include truth and accuracy and fairness and all the things which combine to make a public service broadcasting position, which I still think is Vital in a world which gets ever more fractious.
0: Yeah, but let's just try and sort of split up those uh, various elements of impartiality because there was yeah, there's one quite easy bit which is balance, and I think people now understand that on issues such as climate change, you know, uh, the BBC would say it's it's false balance to present both sides of the argument because one side has all the science, right? Yeah,
1: I don't think that that accusation against the BBC and other public broadcasters is right, actually. I don't think the BBC is, quote, balanced on whether climate change is happening or not. It absolutely accepts that human-made climate change is happening. What I think you have to say is that truth overcomes Balance. But then there are some issues, like should you cut or raise taxes, where absolutely you should be balanced, because there isn't a scientific consensus. It's absolutely on the political front line, and the BBC should not be taking a view on whether taxes should be high or low.
0: Yeah, but aren't there some issues where, you know, the science is on one side, but, the, but still broadcasters, and it's not just public service broadcasters, yeah, it's the whole of the Western tradition of broadcasting in the US, in the UK. People try and have this idea of balance, but it only goes so far, doesn't it? There are lots of issues where both sides of the argument will be given, even if everyone thinks one side is wrong.
1: I'm not I think climate change is the one where people Say that's the case. I am personally comfortable with the very, very occasional voice which dissents from the science. And I think if you look at the UN report, the UN report said that human made science uh, climate change is about 95% likely based on their evidence. So occasionally you might have a voice from the couple of percent who are not in that consensus. Um, But I I think to go back to your main point, um, it is absolutely right that truth and science should win on all the evidence, you should say that. If people dissent from that, you can point them to the facts and that reconciliation between opinion and fact is something a public service broadcaster should be doing.
0: Okay, let me give you a trickier example though. So if you take in the UK, the Brexit debate, uh, most of the businesses, most of the economists were on the side of leaving the European Union will be damaging to the British economy. And yet, the BBC and other broadcasters in the UK, again, some of them just commercially owned, not just public service broadcasters, thought they should present both sides of the argument that an economist would come on saying, yep, it's going to be fine, and others would say it's going to be damaging 50 50. But the argument wasn't 50 50 like climate change. So that's false balance, right? It is. And you're right on that. And let me try
1: um, a recalibration of the Brexit campaign. And I think that the broadcasters should have been bolder. The broadcasters should have been bolder in saying the overwhelming belief of economists is that Britain will be worse off outside the EU. And I think it is absolutely possible And it was there during the campaign to be able to say that. Instead, what you had was what I've called a robotic balancing of yes and no to make both sides appear to be equally backed by the science. However, I think the flip side of that is that on sovereignty, there's also this attempt to say, well, you know, you may be more sovereign, you may be less sovereign. And to me, just as there is a consensus that economically you're going to be worse off, I think in sovereignty, if you really think sovereignty is more important than anything, including the economy, in that case, logically, people would vote for uh, withdraw from the eu because you are going to be more sovereign to some degree if you're outside and i think that's again perfectly possible for broadcasters to point out
0: yeah sure take the point i mean there are arguments on both sides but just on the economics you could say that the desire to be impartial actually took the took the broadcasters in the wrong direction
1: yes i yeah i, I I've, I've, I've written about this and and i think there are And there's another big thing, which is that it would have been better if the broadcasters had understood the Brexit tide. So now you get lots of people saying, well, it was all very obvious and people in Lincolnshire were always going to vote to leave and so on. But they didn't say that at the time and they didn't understand it. There was rather a metropolitan, incomprehending view of why Brexit might be about to happen. So I think it would have been better and would have helped the coverage if they'd known more about their own country. Having said that, I can't see... any. Any reason why when people present the economic arguments, there shouldn't have been somebody to say 95% of economists think this and 5% think that, and some of the packaging where two economists were presented as being equally valid or representative consensus could have been more sophisticated and more helpful to the audience.
0: Okay, so that's sort of one little bit of impartiality that's you know quite complex and nuanced. Now, what about another bit, which is the background of the journalists? Now you used to edit a a, a very important morning radio programme in the UK, which the whole of the British establishment listens to. Were you concerned that the social makeup of your staff meant that they didn't, just as you say, actually, didn't really understand their country and were unable to broadcast in, in in an impartial way, bearing in mind that a lot of people they didn't share experiences with?
1: I wasn't too worried at the time, and we did try, even in the... 1980s and 90s uh, to recruit a diverse workforce. And I think one thing that was easier in those days was there was more movement from around the country to London. I think that's now been stopped a bit by house prices and the uh, way the economy has changed. But we had people from Belfast and from Glasgow, and I was from Bradford, and we had plenty of people from all over the UK. Um, And I think what you also have to do is remain remain intellectually curious. So you can see in London in a cosy metropolitan university-educated consensus, or you can think, what are people really thinking about this in certain parts of the country? And I I, I used to work with a, a brilliant reporter called Sarah Cullen, who used to report from Northern Ireland and be utterly revelatory to me about what the grassroots in Northern Ireland were thinking about the issues at those times. You've got to have that ability to be curious about your country and to be determined to represent it in all its wonderful diversity
0: yeah so we're talking about the UK but I mean this is obviously very relevant to the US as well where I guess it would be fair to say the mainstream media as it is often called missed the whole Trump feeling the whole Trump wave the reason that Trump was doing well that he would do well they just didn't understand it right
1: no, and, and the, the states with some of the biggest majorities for Hillary Clinton were New York and California, which is where all the media were based. And if the media had been based in Wisconsin, they might have got a different perspective. And that, I think, is is also, you know, it's true of the UK, it's true of many other countries in Europe, probably the exception being Germany, which has a very devolved system of broadcasting. But in most of the countries of Europe and the world, there is a metropolitan view of that country, in which, if you're not careful, or reporters seem like they're going to Newcastle on some sort of fascinating anthropological trip, uh, which you would not is not the way you would treat Richmond upon Thames or Islington.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it seems to me uh, I've identified it. And tell me if you disagree. Two quite important areas in which impartiality is you know pretty tough to achieve because they've got the false balance issue. You've got this um, basically a non diverse journalistic staff. Let's say, and, and I, I'll give you give you another one maybe, which is the post truth world. You know, and that organizations that are trying to present facts and the truth as they would see it from the center of the political system are being outmaneuvered by channels which are fighting culture wars.
1: Yes I I don't want to be too pessimistic because I think you can do it and this is a a, a daft example in a way but when I was editor of the Today programme my dad who was from Yorkshire uh, was by then living in Lincolnshire and every time I talked to him I asked him what he thought about the programme and he used to joke about himself as being the northern editor of the Today programme but my dad was a really useful corrective to the view we all had in the pub after work so you've got Both make sure you are porous and accessible to views around the country and also that you're intellectually curious enough to want to find out what's going on. And uh, look, I think journalists now still do a brilliant job, but there is a bit of a sense sometimes of that metropolitan closeness, which worries me a bit, and sometimes um, an ideological view of events, if you're not careful, which puts things through a particular prism. And you've always got a challenge. Journalists are independent thinking.
0: Right. So I'm not really uh, trying to sort of ask you whether you think the BBC manages to do these things or not, but it's just much more in general whether broadcasters who are trying to go down, you know, do this traditional form of journalism, which is to be impartial. It's what American students are taught. It's what the BBC promotes. It's what the the the, the regulators in the UK promote. Everyone is talking about the need for impartiality. And, yeah, you, know, you could argue it worked pretty well for, for, for decades. But I'm just wondering whether it is now sustainable in the face of these challenges to impartiality, you know, of which the most serious is probably the post-truth world and the culture wars, you know, which are are really directly uh, challenging this model of journalism.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I govern a bit by um, um, anecdote in my um uh, age and one of the anecdotes is um, I'm now at Selwyn College Cambridge as you said and um, talking to students is always fascinating because if you ask them if they read a daily newspaper they think you've gone mad. Um, if you ask them if they watch a linear television news bulletin they find that a rather extraordinary concept but Um, what they do do is use the BBC News website and the mainstream media news websites to find out whether things are true or not. So if they see a story breaking, and they really want to find more information, more context, check it's accurate, they will use the mainstream media quite voraciously. And I think the other way, I mean, you may think this is a bit um, uh, de minimis, but Not being biased is the way that some people in the BBC now describe impartiality. And that's quite good, I think. It says that we may not be perfect and we may be in a world where some of the boundaries are shifting, but we're not going to be biased. We are not going to be pro-Democrat or pro-Republican. We are going to tell you our best take on what we believe to be true and what the facts and the evidence are. And that, at its most basic, is what you hope people are still doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I use I use steady, reliable websites to sort of see what actually happened. But I suspect that when you say your students at Selwyn College do that, that you know that's great because they're going to run the country in the end, probably. Uh, but you know, most people don't. Why do you think so many people do not believe true news? Which is, you know, we're in a situation now with QAnon in the states, where millions of people believe absolutely insane things, you know, about lizards and, God, and paedophiles and all this. You know, we have to reflect, don't we, on the challenge that presents to the news industry,
1: we do, though, uh, you know, this is where you could have an endless debate about cause and effect. Uh, I, I would say that part of the problem in the United States is the media has become so fragmented. And I spent an evening in Los Angeles two three years ago, where I just flipped on the hotel TV between Fox and MSNBC. And whatever you think about them, Fox on the right, MSNBC on the liberal left, they had almost no stories in common. They had almost no commentators in common. They had almost no facts in common. They were just completely different takes on the world and that's because in the US uh, Fox and MSNBC are the leading news channels so I'm very pleased that in most of Europe and certainly in Britain you have got a core of public service broadcasting from the BBC and ITV and Sky which is not like that and and the only way you're going to get people to have any degree of civic discourse is if there is a broad agreement about what stories and what facts matter.
0: Well, quite, but the fact is that it's going the other way in the States, isn't it? And we we may well follow. I mean, the UK is now getting opinion-led TV uh, for the first time, and the trend is that way.
1: Yes, I would be more optimistic about the UK because the BBC and ITV and Sky are still massively dominant in the market. So that is a good position generally in terms of the civic outcomes from that. In America, the battle has been lost. I mean, PBS is very marginalised. The American networks are still doing news and actually are defining uh, their network a bit more by news. If you look at the way that NBC use less use to hold, but you've still got very, very big numbers with Fox and MSNBC, whereas in the UK... Uh, GB News and Talk TV are relatively minority. And, you know, I, I, I think that outcome in which you have opinionated news but it doesn't dominate is quite a good outcome for now.
0: Sure, but what about the States? I mean, how, how do you see that working out? Because, you know, you could argue that the different... It, I mean, I agree, it's actually fascinating that they don't even talk... These channels don't even talk about the same topics, right? No. So, which is interesting and, and, and suggests that you know, a significant amount of the American population felt underserved by what they were getting from what you're saying has worked well in the UK.
1: Yes, I, I fear the battle is largely lost in the US. So I think the US has a real problem about its media and about its politics. And I think they're in a, a, a different state of the moment to the UK. So my warning to the UK would be, do not allow our media to become like the United States with its polarisation. And as I say, I'm, I'm not sure where the cause and effect sits in this. But it it, it would be very, very important to me to keep public service broadcasting. But the challenge for public service broadcasting is to be more understanding of its country. And if you are too elite and out of touch, uh, that can
0: erode trust in you, just as getting facts wrong can erode trust in you. Why do you think it is that when there is tribal TV, right-wing channels seem to do better than left-wing ones? Well, MSNBC does pretty well in the, in the US, and um, I, I, I would like
1: there to be channels of the left to balance GB News and talk TV. So I think it's important there is genuine diversity. And I suppose you could say that uh, with websites and the Canary and other media outlets in the UK, and as I say, with um, liberal leaning channels in the us you do get to a range and diversity of views but it is very important because actually uh, i've so far we've been talking about when views from the right have been ignored or underplayed it's equally true of some views from the left so you have to make sure you look right across the waterfront and not just sit on the comfortable centrist consensus
0: sure but i mean i do take the point about msnbc but still i mean you know fox is more successful. And there are other channels now to the right of Fox, which are doing, you know, getting significant audiences. So, I mean, it would seem fair to say that uh, in the tv market right-wing channels and in the uk there's no attempt as you say to set up a left-wing channel yet
1: no i, I wrote i wrote a, a book review for the guardian um some years ago in which um you know it's probably a dangerous thing to write in the guardian but i said that part of the issue with fox news is it's very entertaining and very good television and fox news brought in a style of discussion and a liveness and a sense of opinion um you know i i, I was personally done over by Bill O'Reilly on at least one occasion. Uh, but his show was an immensely watchable show in its heyday. And I think the challenge for the left and the liberals is to make um, programmes as entertaining as that. And Fox News really hit the zeitgeist in a way that was very clever and they did good television. So film asked them for that. And the challenge is um, do that if you take a different view.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, is it, is it just good production values and, you know, doing it well? Or is it something more profound that that um, either that the Liberals have been better served by mainstream broadcasters and therefore don't feel quite as angry about being left out? I mean, that's one possible explanation. Or, or that, you know, the whole of the political debate in Western democracies has shifted in some pretty profound way, which is reflected more by what Fox is saying than what MSNBC is saying?
1: Yes, you, you can make your choice about the explanations. Of course, you can say Fox News, backed by Rupert Murdoch, part of a vast right-wing conspiracy, and that's why it's successful and why um, more crowdfunded alternatives cannot compete in that environment. But what Fox News did was tap into a set of views in America which felt unrepresented. And I, 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 I mean, I am a a, a liberal... Cambridge BBC broadcaster. Um, And therefore, this is not me having a political agenda here. But I do think that you have to take people seriously wherever they live in the country. And they come to views because they absolutely have a legitimate right to come to a set of conclusions and I was talking to one Cambridge alumna uh, who is married to a plumber and she voted remain and he voted leave and he voted leave because in his part of the world wages had not risen for 10 years because of the competition coming from free movement. Now that to me is a legitimate thing for him to do. How often did you hear that Plummer's views represented on UK broadcasting as opposed to the views of the general Westminster consensus? And the answer is not
0: enough. So if I could ask you to, to look ahead to where the broadcast media in particular, but also print media is headed in the next you know, 30, 40 years, how different is it going to look? I mean, you seem to be suggesting, your whole argument seems to be that we can hang on, we can have mainstream people who are presenting facts and who are trying to do it as well as they can and try to listen to other opinions and reflect them and, you know, just doing it better, basically, than they're doing it at the moment, doing it as well as they can, and that that will answer the problem. And I have to say, I'm not convinced by that, because it seems to me, the culture wars and these other trends are so big and profound, that the sort of solutions you're talking about may not be sufficient or workable.
1: I can see why you say that, Owen, and I'm not absolutely completely confident, but I suppose it comes back to the US model versus the UK model, and I share your pessimism completely about the US, as I've said. Um, If you think about the UK, the battle is still there to be fought, and I think that is true for most Western and certainly European countries. Um, So there is pressure on funding, and they do need to be funded properly, but I don't think the culture wars are as acute here as they are in the United States. I hope that there is still a wish for a political dialogue. And actually, um, the Labour Party and Conservative Party being a broad coalition. So even though you get moments of um, Boris Johnson as a populist, I think you have to be clear-sighted that, to me, the comparison between Boris Johnson and Trump was wrong in that there are certain things that are in common. But ultimately, Boris Johnson is a democratically elected prime minister in a parliamentary system, and the 6th of January is something... Can you imagine if that happened in the UK parliament? It would be utterly beyond anything with the politician apparently encouraging it. And we are so far from that. I mean, they, so I think there is hope in most Western democracies that you can keep a broadcasting and political consensus in civilised bounds.
0: Uh, I don't know, have you ever been involved with the regulators in the UK? Yeah, the. Um, I used to have, I used to try to have as little to do with regulators as possible. <laughs> <I can imagine. laughs> you are the sort of person who might have ended up regulating the industry. And one of the bizarre things... About it is, I mean, having looked at the FCC rules and the Ofcom rules, they're, they're pretty similar, actually. I mean, on paper, the US regulators are capable, they have the powers to rein in extreme biased news, but don't do it. And in the UK, they have similar powers and are starting not to do it, allowing channels. Uh, there is there's a Murdoch channel, is another channel here in the UK now, which are clearly in breach of the impartiality rules. And yet it is being tolerated. Why do you think that's happening? I think
1: because you can't stop it. The the fact is that, uh, you know, if you try to regulate television television is only a very very small part now of the whole media landscape of user generated content and um you know all the twittering and instagramming and everything else so it's a losing battle to try to regulate and i do like the fact that you can get news and views from all over the world the, the most important thing it seems to me is the way that the central broadcasters and the traditional media behave and and the, to give credit equally to um the times and the telegraph and the guardian and many of um, those newspapers or websites now in the UK and the Washington Post and others in the US, that if they do compelling, interesting content that engages large numbers of people and that does try to get a civilised way through all the forests of disinformation, that I hope that will win out. I mean, there's no other... you, You can't get truth to win by regulation. You've got to do it by making sure you have confidence in the media that is going to be fair
0: and accurate. You're very optimistic. Do you think journalists are too pessimistic? Look, I, I think that... Um, I mean, they often are um, pessimistic, because well, it makes a no, bad No, no, I, I, because <laughs> I, I mean, as you, I
1: hope you can tell, I, I, I love the job I do here at Selwyn, and I talk to quite a few people going into journalism. And you can argue that since I went into journalism in the early 1980s, everything has changed. Social media disinformation, a whole lot or you can argue actually a lot of it's the same and I've, I've got one or two uh, you know informal mentees around the place who are now working on uh, BBC TV programmes and radio programmes and they are making identifiably the same editorial decisions with the same kind of values that we were doing 40 years ago and they are very committed to impartiality and I'm very proud of the young journalists who are going out there and trying to do the right thing and to, uh, I mean, maybe you're right there is a bias in being here in, in Cambridge I, I recognise that. But if I look across the media industry, there are fantastic young people who want to do the best thing for society and are doing it. So that's why I'm confident. I think that if you look at the younger generation, I don't think, oh, my God, they've gone down lots of wrong paths. They they occasionally go down a wrong path. But for the most part, it's pretty good.
0: But you would advise one of your students going into the media to go into you know, big broadcasters, BBC, ITV, the the main yeah you know, the sort of mainstream, the main big newspapers. Would you rather than going onto social media and and fighting the good fight of the culture wars and 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 trying to win them? You can
1: do either. I'm not saying that one is a completely wrong course and the other is better, but I think it's important that people of talent go into. What we still call the mainstream media because it, you need to keep it honest and better so only if you get a good flow of people in you're going to get good outcomes and at the moment i'm relatively optimistic that's the case the, the the pessimism is if politicians either for overt political reasons or accidentally wash away something that's brilliant and uh in in the book i wrote i mentioned that in the next 10 years in the uk you're probably going to have another scottish referendum you may have an irish border poll and in in those kind of national international moments you need the facts and the opinions to be set out clearly and impartially and fairly to come to a decision. And what you can't do is govern by emotion and the passion of the time. You have to have the cool, calm voice. And I am hopeful that will remain, but you have to fight to make sure it does.
0: Can I just ask you one last uh, question? It's 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 related to what we've been talking about, but slightly different. But you are in a very good position to comment on this. You know, you're running this uh, Cambridge College. Uh, you have brilliant students coming through, and you know going on to quite often, sort of quite big jobs in 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 the UK. Now, I would think that many of them will be liberal. Tell me if I'm wrong. By the time they leave, maybe when they arrive, but certainly by the time they leave, have you reflected at all as you? preside over your college on what creates these opinions what forms opinions amongst your student body and what they tend to end up as and why well, two things. I,
1: I do mentor people from a range of universities and colleges, and I did a bit of um, assessment work at Lincoln University. Um, I also don't think it's necessarily true that everyone comes out with the same views. And I, I say to our students when they come in, you come with all your diversity and range and background, and I hope you will go out into the world not thinking alike. I don't want people to think in a Cambridge way. And I was very proud of one of our students. We did um, um, hustings during the 2019 election, and one of our students said he'd voted for a Brexit party. In in the European elections in the summer of that year because he wanted to make sure the Conservatives abided by their promises to deliver Brexit. And I'm very proud that a student does that in a meeting. It's not in any way, you know, chastised or reprimanded by other students. And uh, uh, that person is now working in, uh, was working in Parliament for a Conservative MP great, I, I want there to be real diversity. Um, so I think it's very, very important that Cambridge does not impose a homogenous liberal view of the world. And so I'm therefore equally proud that one of our students um, this year is now a trainee on The Telegraph. Good thing.
0: No, sure. But what, what, I mean, what I'm trying to get at is what, what forms opinion? Have you, have you thought about what forms the opinion of your students? Whether, whether they come out you know, pro-Brexit, anti-Brexit, pro-Tory, anti-Tory, whatever. What, what are the influences on students in 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 your your care as it were that you think are are most important?
1: Well there is this alchemy of the background they come from which is increasingly massively diverse and global and what they go out into the world thinking and the most important thing for me and what I always say is I do want to have different opinions but I want them to have a respect for facts and data and you know if there's one thing probably that cambridge is um notorious for in a way it is data and maths and cambridge economics is very mathematical so um i i think that's one of the things where um i would say that a respect for Looking at all the evidence is most important for me. And I think that is one guarantor that you will then get different opinions coming out. Uh, what is worrying about some of the world and some of the disinformation, what you say about lizards and QAnon, is it's not based on any facts or evidence at all. And I want people to keep saying, What's the evidence? What are the facts? How do you work on these problems? How do you get to a policy? And that, I think, is a framework wherever you come from of what you want to get people to think.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much indeed for for, um, talking us through it all. That's uh, Roger Mosey, who's with the BBC for many years. Uh, Thank you very much indeed.
1: Thanks, Erin.